Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, The Unexpected King, which was taught to help us celebrate Advent in 2022. In this series, we consider several unexpected characteristics of the coming King, as seen in Zechariah 9.9. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. Uh, with that, I did want to remind everybody we will be gathering on Christmas Eve. Today we're going to be finishing kind of the Sunday part of this series, The Unexpected King. We'll really kind of wrap it up on Christmas Eve, old-fashioned Christmas Eve service. And so I hope you can make it for that. So let's go ahead and we're going to pray for God to speak to us and our kids this morning. And uh, then we'll dive into God's Word. Father, we are really grateful um, as we think and we celebrate this time of year, Lord, the deep truth that from before the dawn of time, you had seen and known our fall and planned to work redemption. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you came to save us, that we marvel that the, the method of salvation was not simply a message, an email, or a text, but you came and you took flesh and you lived among us. And Holy Spirit, that you reside among us, that you indwell us, that you empower us so that we can walk as disciples of Jesus. We pray our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would meet us right now, that this old, old story that we've been looking at, that we should have expected the king who was coming, but we just admit that we don't, Lord. We still marvel at it even now. Lord, we pray that you would reveal it, not just to our brains, but Lord, that it would penetrate deep <clears throat> into our inner mind, to our heart, that it would touch us and our mind and our will and our emotions, that we would follow after you. And Lord, we pray for the kids as they are upstairs hearing your word. Lord, we pray for the Holy Spirit to penetrate through so that they would want to walk with Jesus. Lord, our prayer for them is they would never have a conscious memory when they're older of a time that they were not trying to walk with you. That, Lord, they would say, I know I, <laughs> I know I had a time when I didn't realize my sin, I didn't understand the gospel, but I can't even remember it. Uh, Jesus has been my faithful shepherd all my days. Lord, may that be their testimony. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be looking one more time at Zechariah 9.9. 9 which is admittedly an unexpected text for Christmas. It would normally be used um, on uh, Palm Sunday uh, and heading in when, when Jesus went into Jerusalem. But we've been looking at it uh, as it is a prophecy of the coming of Christ and revealing who he is. And so we're going to look at it one more time. Zechariah 9, 9, it's on the screen, it's in your booklets, and you can follow along in your Bibles. Hear the word of the sovereign king rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion shout daughter of Jerusalem see your king comes to you righteous 
having salvation, gentle, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Uh, this year, I had uh, been reading some uh, essays by C.S. Lewis on writing, the writing of fiction and on criticism of writing, and it made me, when I finish it, immediately want to go back and, and read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe again, because he'd written some of those about children's literature. And I was reminded, as we've been going through this series, uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is a great story, and then it's got this unexpected twist. And I remember reading it to our kids for the first time. It was actually Tim and Jeremy. Uh, Tim was about five and Jeremy was about four. And we came to the part where Aslan, the Christ figure, um, is having to deal with the white witch because she says, I have the right to the traitor Edmund's blood. It's been written in the magic from the dawn of time. I have the right to every traitor's blood. And Aslan goes off and makes a deal that you don't know at first with the white witch and two of the girls follow him and then they are shocked and astounded to watch as he unexpectedly willingly lays down his life and he dies and you come to the end of the chapter and and I'll never forget my two sons just were weeping and they were like daddy that Aslan can't have died I was like well he has go to bed no I didn't <laughs> I wasn't that bad a dad. <laughs> it explains a lot, right? No. no. So we, we had to read the next chapter. And of course, in that chapter, Aslan is raised. And the kids say, I don't understand. The stone table where he's been sacrificed is cracked and it's broken. And Aslan says, yes, that's because the witch could only see to the dawn of time. And she knew the magic from the dawn of time. But there's a deeper magic from before the dawn of time that says if, if one is a willing sacrifice, the whole thing is undone and the traitor is restored. And so it's just such a beautiful picture of this unexpected twist. And don't we love it when we come to a story and it's that way, where we didn't see it coming, it's this mind-bending thing, and it's like, whoa, I did, I did not see that happening. Well, that's actually what we're kind of looking at in this series. It's easy for us because we've heard the story so many times to forget how unexpected the coming of Jesus is. And so we're looking at him as the unexpected king. And again, if you notice, we've had throughout the series the, the un part is in parentheses, and that's because really when Jesus comes, he's the long-expected king. It's not that nobody expected Messiah to come. It just shocked him in the way he came. So we've been seeing here in this text in Zechariah, the people of God, this was some 500 years before the coming of Christ. Zechariah prophesies here in, in uh, verse 9, he says, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation. So this is not unexpected in the sense that the people didn't know the king was coming. The, they had heard it proclaimed from Zechariah's prophecy alone for over 500 years that the messianic king was going to come and that the messianic king was going to save. And in fact, it goes back far, far uh, more back than Zechariah uh, himself. In fact, the very first time we hear about this saving king, one who's going to come and rescue, is all the way at the dawn of time. 
Okay, the, the deeper magic from before the dawn of time was announced to us at the dawn. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, you remember as the guilty pair stands before God. They have sinned. They have broken covenant. They have committed treason. They have joined in against Satan, against God. And God pronounces a curse on Satan in the form of a serpent. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring or your seed and hers. He will crush your head and you're going to strike or bruise his heel. And so right there is the first mention that had come and the people of God began to understand this and ruminate it on the way and God very often does this in the Old Testament he, he gives it in a very small seed form and you have to kind of ruminate and think and he expands it as time moves along this idea of a seed was famous to Israel because they of course recognized that God promised Abraham for example that through your seed or your offspring I'm going to bless all nations, which Paul tells us is actually the gospel. It had come down uh, very clearly to David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord is carrying this idea of a seed that had been spoken in the garden, was then spoken to Abraham. It comes down to David, and the Lord says, when your days are over, David, and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring, that same word, your seed, to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See, David had wanted to build the house of God and God had said, no, you can't do that because you're a man of bloodshed. We're gonna have to wait for a man of peace. And so God tells David that you are gonna have a seed and offspring. And of course, everyone thinks it's Solomon because Solomon's name even references that he is a man of of peace and so um, they think it's him but of course is it solomon no he builds a physical temple that later gets destroyed and it gets destroyed because of solomon's sin and the sin of all the kings who come after solomon and there's a recognition that no matter how good these kings are who've come from david none of them are the king we're waiting for and so the people are hungering and wondering, when is the true son of David going to come? Who's going to deliver us? And for example, in the prophets, this is clarified even more in a very famous verse uh, that is you know, part of the setting for Handel's Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, we've all heard this so many times, right? For unto us a, son is a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever the zeal of the lord almighty will accomplish this and isaiah talked about actually starting in isaiah 7 14 and moving all the way forward there was this idea that look the kings have failed but god is still faithful to his promise the promised son of david is going to come he is going to establish the kingdom and there's again here they don't they can't understand what, what do you mean he's going to be called mighty god isn't that blasphemy? How is he going to be the Prince of Peace? How is he going to be the everlasting father? 
What, what does that mean? The, Peter tells us that the prophets were, were longing, they were trying to look into this and to figure out what it meant. So there is this, this growing expectation for the people of God, and it's becoming ever more clarified, ever more expanded. It's kind of like an acorn that is branching out, and you're starting to see more and more and more to un, uh, understand uh, who this Messiah is and what he's coming to do. So in light of all of that, why would we be talking about an unexpected king? What do we mean by the fact that he is unexpected? Well, the reason we're saying that is Jesus is unexpected in the manner of his coming and the way in which he works out salvation. So let's, let's consider for just a moment first, he's unexpected in the manner of his coming. When a... When a king is born, what family is he born into? Royalty, wealthy aristocracy. Linda and I, were we, we've been watching the TV show The Crown, and we were watching an episode last night where, this, this will be a shock to you, but Charles and Diana get divorced. And, <laughs> and in it, they're having a discussion, and Diana at one point basically says, I didn't want to give birth to a king, I just wanted us to have a child course i kind of looked at linda and said didn't didn't she realize that <laughs> the two were the same <laughs> when you're married to the prince the child you give birth to is in fact the king and there is all of that strange pressure that comes from them because when those children were born at the end they showed actually the wedding of charles and diane and i still remember that thing myself i mean the whole world watched and when the kids were born there was all of this we expect the king to be born into wealthy aristocracy jesus is born to poor parents they're in the line of david but it's been so long and that line seems to have been shattered and forgotten so long the parents are nothing but poor peasants we expect kings to be born in a palace, right? They bring the baby out, you know, at Buckingham Palace, and they show the child off. Jesus is born where? In a manger. I mean, this is, this is not what anybody is looking for. We expect the birth of the king to be announced throughout the realm, everyone to hear about it. Who does the announcement of Jesus' birth go to? A few smelly shepherds on a hillside. I mean, I think there's a little humor there that the angels have been preparing. Our choir has worked hard to prepare. <laughs> These angels have been working from all eternity and they burst through the clouds and you got a half dozen smelly dudes on a hillside. That's who's watching. It should be all of humanity. But that's the way it is. It's completely unexpected. We expect the king to be raised in the palace, in the great capital city. Where's this king raised? in a backwater province that nobody paid any attention to whatsoever. The, the average Roman couldn't find it on a map. They had a hard time even finding Israel on a map, much less Nazareth in Galilee. In short, we expect the king to come to power and with pomp. And this king comes in humility. But here's the twist. We were told that's how he's going to come. We should have known. Remember, Zechariah said, he's gentle. He's riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He's telling you, look, I'm telling you he's coming to save, but it's not the way you think. He's not on a great war horse. He's not got armies behind him. I'm telling you he's coming in humility. 
Conquering kings are on great war horses. He'll be on a donkey, even a young foal. Um, and he is, and even when Jesus does this, you know, he's going into Jerusalem, the capital city, when he fulfills that prophecy literally later on at the end of his ministry. Uh, but he's been raised in the humblest of circumstances. And this is so critical to see, and part of why we're taking the time to do this. I remember a few years ago, we were down at the county fair, and you know, we were showing off Mark's Bible display, and someone asked where our congregation was. And this was before we had our nice facade on the front. Now, to remind you, there was a cross that was the height of this building. It was 30 foot high. We had a big sign out front. But back then, you drove down the driveway and you parked back here. And I had somebody say, where is your congregation at? And I explained, and they said, there's not a church there. I said, there's a church there. No, there's not a church there. There's a church there. No, there used to be, but it's been closed for years. I, I preached there like three days ago. I'm really sure there's a church there. I don't know why we're arguing about this, but it's kind of my job. I stand up every Sunday, and it's what I do. Why do you think there's not a church there? Well, I can't see any cars. It doesn't look like a church building. I don't see a driveway that heads there. So the reality was, even though there were big signs, there was a big cross out there. It said Bay Ridge Christian Church all across the building. There's a sign out the road. People's minds were conditioned in such a way they missed all those signs. We're so conditioned to how a king is going to come, God says, I, I told you. <laughs> I did tell you how this was going to work. And we're like, yeah, I, I still didn't see it coming. And that's exactly what happened. The manner of his coming is so unexpected that kind of like the people at the fair were arguing with God. I don't think it happened. Yeah, it, it happened. <laughs> it was there, and it's exactly what I told you. Second thing, Jesus is not only unexpected in, in his manner of coming, he's unexpected in his manner of righteousness and justice in his rule. Uh, we, all three of us have talked about this in the previous weeks, but see, notice in Zechariah 9.9, we're told that he's coming and he's righteous. Now, first off, that might be a shock because if I say to you, quick, think of politicians, what are the words that describe them? Who had righteous leap into their mind? Okay, so first off, unexpected. And that's not just current, is it? I mean, if you ask the average person in Israel, what do you think of the emperor, the king, the Caesar? Righteous was not the word that left off their lips, was it? So first off, that would be unexpected. But um, this king is actually not going to rule with unrighteous means. He's going to rule in righteousness. But what we do expect kings to do is to establish their own version of righteousness, their own laws, which is, if you're with my program, you'll be blessed. But if you do anything I don't like, off with their heads. Right? That's what other kings do. They punish those who violate their laws. But this king comes, he actually is righteous, but he doesn't come to condemn, but actually to save the very people violating his laws. We don't expect that. And consider, when we think of this, a very familiar verse that, again, we don't normally think of directly at Christmas time, but look at John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And be astounded by this. Can y'all go ahead and put that up on the screen? Danny, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So notice what God says there. Jesus did not come to condemn. We were already condemned. He didn't have to do that. We already stood guilty. We were already treasonous. We were already those who were violating the law. This king comes not to condemn those who have been traitors, but actually to save those who are traitors. This king comes not to punish us rebels, but rather to save us. See, that is unexpected. And it's why we, we, we don't see that twist coming. Because again, what the Jews thought was, very often, because are they not like us? Well, God's going to punish the wicked people. It's just that I'm not that. But then if we're open and we're honest, we realize we are that. But the good news is the king comes to save. And so this king's going to establish true righteousness and justice, not the not the paltry things that even the best of our rulers do. True righteousness and justice, but he's going to do it by taking the justice we were due and giving his righteousness to us. Unexpected. And then third, that Jesus is unexpected in his manner of saving. So notice again in Zechariah 9, 9, the king comes and he's having salvation or saving. He's righteous and saving is another way to read it there. And so we expect kings to act and rule and save very often, let's be honest, through unrighteous means. This king is going to save through righteous means. And it's a difficulty. I'm not even always blaming the kings. You know, I, um, uh, a year or two ago, I read a, well, I'd, I'd read a big biography of Winston Churchill and then this last year rereading um, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Do you realize that the, our leaders had to make very difficult choices. I mean, Churchill made some calls that you look back and you say, mm, that probably wasn't the best. But he's doing the best he can as he goes along. <clears throat> None of them do it perfectly. But we're told this king is going to save and he's going to do it in a manner that is absolutely righteous. <clears throat> but how do most kings save? They do it by conquering and vanquishing their enemies. They destroy their enemies, but this king actually saves not by destroying his enemies, but by, by being slain himself. It's Chronicles of Narnia. It's the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. This king climbs. He doesn't sacrifice the enemy on the stone table. He climbs on it himself. We expect the king to kill the enemy. This king's going to die for the enemies. And that's because we really think of kings engaging in political, military conquest, which is exactly what the, the Jews were expecting their Messiah to come do. But this king is going to engage in a spiritual battle, not a physical battle, because what's our real enemy? I mean, our real enemy is sin and death. See, if, if I mean... During our lifetime, right, uh, you know, America can get involved in conflicts. We can win the conflict, but is that going to resolve my issue with death? No. 
It's not going to resolve the issue with death. But Jesus has come to try and deal with that. And so notice here in his manner of saving, it is so unexpected because the king saves by his own defeat. So I want you to listen to some lyrics. This is uh, from a, a song that's called Vishit Agnus Noster, which means our lamb has conquered. Okay, our lamb has conquered. And here's some lines within it. Out of his dark obscurity, the light of God has shone. And through the meekness of the lamb, God's strength would be made known. Do you notice there? It's out of darkness, light comes. Out of a meek lamb, God's strength is shown. And then I love this uh, next verse. The just and gentle promised one would triumph o'er the fall and conquer by his own defeat and win by losing all. If you say, I expected that, you're a liar. We don't. We're like, what? He, he lays down, he wins by losing, he, he conquers by being slain, but that is exactly what the Lamb of God does. The Lamb shows the very strength of God. And then this leads to the final thing, which is that Jesus, the Messiah, offers us a very unexpected kingdom. It's not even just in his own actions. He's telling us the reason you didn't expect this is because your view of the world is completely upside down. The way you think the universe actually works is backwards, it's upside down, you've missed how it works. So consider some of these sayings of Jesus when he walked in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 10, Many who are first will be last, and the last first. Is that the way our world works? See, we say, no, 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 look out for number one. You got to be first. But Jesus says, I'm telling you, if you live that way, you will be last. But if you're last, you'll be first. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus said to them, and this is remember, even his disciples, they've walked with Jesus for three years. This is the end of three years of discipleship. And does anybody remember what they're arguing about when Jesus goes into these words? Who's the greatest? Who's the, who's the honcho that Jesus is really, you know, Jesus is really proud to have me follow? They're all arguing over that, and this is what Jesus says. The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. Aren't you blessed to have me as your leader? But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. Is that like our world? See, this is a kingdom that doesn't look like the kingdom of the world. So it's not even just what Jesus did in that original coming. See, the funny thing about Advent is it's not only a looking back. In the church calendar, it's also a looking forward to the return of Christ. And we struggle because we're like, well, I can kind of understand he came and he did all that, but why does it look like this today? Well, it looks like this today because the kingdom he's building and announcing is not like the kingdoms of this world. It does not line up with them at all. One more verse that Jesus says. Mark 8, 34 and 35. Everyone's favorite Bible verse. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Who can build a marketing plan for that? It's the exact opposite of the way our world works, is it not? See, so this adds to the mystery of the whole thing because even when Jesus comes and this is the kingdom he's announcing, is this what we expect? We ex- no, we expect the kingdom where the first are first. And you recognize we're first, Lord, so you make us first. We expect a kingdom where we get to crush our enemies. We expect a kingdom where we are at the head of the line. We expect a kingdom where we rule and others bow down and recognize how important we are. That's exactly what the disciples asked. You know, James and John, wanted, Lord, we want to sit at your right hand and your left. And the other disciples got said, and Jesus is like, you all still don't even understand the nature of the kingdom. This is not how the kingdom operates because I'm the king of this kingdom. And the whole way I have come is to undo that upside-down view of the world. And so, for all these reasons, it's not just that he was born in the manger. It is the entire way Jesus operated throughout his life, his teaching, his ministry, his way of working salvation, and the kingdom he is announcing and inaugurating and set up is so completely different that it's unexpected. It's, it's all been there in the prophets, but it is completely unexpected. So how do we apply this? What does this mean for us? Well, number one, the, the key question that addresses us every time we're doing this is, have I submitted to the unexpected king? See, so many miss the arrival of this king, of Jesus, because the manner of his coming and his ruling was so unexpected. And many people today say the same thing. If Jesus is who you proclaim he is, look at the world. See, it's the same mistake that was made when he came. They they have an upside-down view of the world. His manner of coming, his manner of ruling is so unexpected. And so the question that comes to us as we've walked through this is, have I recognized the king? Or have I not recognized him? Fact is, when Jesus came, how many people knew? That night in Bethlehem, how many people knew that the long-awaited Messiah had come? Virtually none. Can you imagine that, and I hope they became believers, but somebody later said, I I was like 50 feet away when this happened, and I didn't know. I was there. I missed. There are people, while God in flesh walked by ministering, they missed it. They had no idea who he was. And the same thing happens to us. And have we, when we recognize it, the response is we submit. There's a reason that he's the unexpected king. We are called to submit to his lordship and his rule. And so, whether you're here in person, whether you're online, parents, I include, encourage you to be working with, this, with our kids. One, to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus. It's to be submitted to his lordship. And that means that I'm going to follow in your ways, not my own. Okay, that's why Jesus says it is, you know, 
Bonhoeffer summarized it this way. When Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's based on, you know, in Mark, Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's what it looks like. So have we done that? Second part of that is for those who have, I assume most of us here have, in fact, responded to the gospel, but are we living as citizens of the unexpected kingdom? Because Advent, again, it's looking back to Jesus' first coming, but also pointing us forward to his return. And this unexpected king has an unexpected kingdom. But let's be honest, those verses I threw up there a few moments ago, is that the way we oftentimes think about and approach life? Do we, do we think that's the way I should actually conduct my life? Or do I think, Jesus, if I'm willing to be last, everybody's going to trample me underfoot. I, y'all are probably too spiritual to think that way, right? If I'm not looking out for number one, who's, who's looking out for it? The answer to that question is God, just so you know. Okay, do, do we recognize and realize that? Because it's, it's possible to embrace and submit to the king and then misunderstand the nature of the kingdom because it runs counter. Again, see the problem is when people were driving by here, they're expecting church buildings to look certain ways and when it doesn't, they miss all the other clues. Well, you and I have an understanding of how the kingdoms of this world operate. And so it's easy to say, yes, I'm in the kingdom of God, and therefore I think about it based on the way the kingdoms of this world operate. But the unexpected king has told us, no, we are exactly not like those kingdoms. We'd be a lot better off to say, okay, how does the kingdom of the world operate? If it goes left, then probably we're going to be going right. If it's stopping, we're probably going to be putting the pedal to the metal. If it's going fast, we're probably <laughs> going to be stopping or going in reverse because it is the opposite of the kingdoms of this world. And so you and I are being discipled every day by the kingdom of this world to walk in pride rather than humility, to look out for number one, to try and manipulate others into serving me and my desires, to expect everyone else to affirm me so that I can affirm myself to follow my own desires. And Jesus says, no, deny yourself. Doesn't matter if it's your desire. Doesn't matter if if that's what you think you are. That's not what being in the kingdom is. In this kingdom, true life is found in humility rather than pride. True life and deep lasting joy are found in looking out for the needs of others, in serving rather than being served, in denying myself rather than attempting to fulfill my own wayward desires. Does that, does that cut across the way our culture views everything right now? You and I are being told on steroids right now the, the way to happiness is to find your authentic self inside and then you must express that. No, you must not. That's the path to hell. That's what that is. The path to life, the path to joy is saying, do my desires line up with what God's revealed in his word? Does does what I'm perceiving myself to be actually line up with 
what God says regarding what it means to be human. Because very much of what's going on in our culture runs directly counter to it. And that is in every way from just fulfilling every desire you have to, again, walking in arrogance and pride, marketing myself, making everything about me, putting me at the center. All of these are ways that we are being discipled every day into the ways of the kingdoms of this world. But Jesus, who has unexpectedly called us and saved us just as we are with all of our sin because he loves us he also loves us too much to let us continue wallowing in that sin because it is destructive it destroys us it it misshapes our soul it sucks our joy away i recently was reteaching um and the C.S. Lewis Institute on the seven deadly sins or the seven root vices, and reminded that one of the books I had read and researching it years ago and studying it is actually called Killjoys, because that's what the seven deadly sins are. They're the quickest way to slay your own joy. That's not what we're after. But see, the, the world's telling me, no, here's your path to joy, but God is saying, no, it's not. That's the path away from joy. I'm trying to call you to true, deep, lasting joy. So followers of the unexpected king should expect to walk in unexpected ways that are simply contrary to the world. So at this time of year, we're reminded every year, it's easy to say, oh, isn't it cool? Jesus came and there's Joseph and Mary and I put up my manger scene and all that's great. But if we miss how unexpected it is, and if we miss that that means that that's showing us the whole way the world has worked is upside down. Church tradition says that St. Peter was crucified. Does anybody remember how he was crucified? Upside down, because that's the way this whole world is. I want my last sight to see this world upside down, because that's the way it is. Well, he got that because that's exactly what Jesus did. When we celebrate the king coming and born in the manger, that's our clue to say the whole way we've been taught about reality is upside down. It's backwards and it's wrong. But the good news is if we embrace that king and his unexpected kingdom, there is deeper joy than we could ever possibly imagine. So what we're going to do is we're going to come to the Lord's table and I want to encourage us to do just a couple things as we do so. I want the marvel of this unexpected privilege. Again, you know, sometimes we say that familiarity breeds contempt. We come to the Lord's table every week when we gather, okay? But it should remind us every week what an astounding privilege. We were traitors. We were rebels. And rather than being shut in the dungeon and fed, fed moldy bread and water, we're invited to come to the king's table. Week after week after week, he does this for us. And as we're doing so, it's a chance where the Holy Spirit works. See, sometimes you, know, you have churches that, well, we want the Spirit working, and then you've got traditional things like the Lord's table. But see, the Spirit works through this table. That's why we come. It's, it's an opening up 
to the way of the Holy Spirit. And so, is the Spirit speaking, even as we've been going through this, is there maybe a way that the Lord is saying, you know what, I've been viewing something, that's the way of the world. I, I think the Spirit's showing me this is upside down. Just last Sunday, as Bobby was leading, I was dealing with an issue, and the Holy Spirit was working with me on I was in the right position on the issue, but it was how I was going to approach it, how I was going to be working with someone that's outside of our congregation. How am I going to try and handle this? The Holy Spirit was working as we came to the table. So is there an area where the Spirit is working and speaking to you? And I want to encourage you, therefore, what we're really doing, every time we come, this is still part of our worship. That, Lord, it's so unexpected I'm here. And that your spirit is speaking to me. I want you to speak, and I want to obey. Now, what we're going to do, I'm going to read an unusual passage for this, maybe an unexpected passage, but I want you to hear the unexpected nature of the drama of salvation. This is out of Revelation chapter 5. John has a vision into heaven. And if you remember when we studied Daniel, Daniel talked about the scrolls that had to be sealed up. They were sealed for you know, 600 years, 500 years. Uh, John gets a vision of those sealed scrolls, and here's what happens. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll?" But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of uh, the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Do, do you see the unexpected nature? What does John expect to see when he turns? The lion. But the lion is a lamb looking like he's been slain but he has conquered and when he had taken it the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for god from every tribe and language and people and nation you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked, 
and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. What a paradox. The lion that conquered, that triumphed, that uh, accomplished the will of God, did it by being the lamb who was slain. And because he is slain, you and I are invited to this table. And so I encourage you, if you are a believer, to take this morning, uh, to join in with us, to come to this table to celebrate the marvel of our salvation that has been opened up for you and for me. How good is it to see when John saw that, he didn't even know that this continent existed. And here we are, worshiping our God, because we are those who were bought with his blood. So let's come and worship and receive and let the Spirit speak to us. For what I receive from the Lord... I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this all of you in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, you are the lion of the tribe of Judah, the second Adam, the eternal son of God who has conquered in our behalf. So we give you thanks for your great power, and for your victory over sin, evil, and death. And we take this bread with thanksgiving, receiving it in faith that you have secured salvation for us. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord, you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And by your blood and sacrifice, you have purchased men and women from every tribe and language on earth. How unexpected. The lion is the lamb. How unexpected. You, the conquering king, were slain for us. How unexpected. In dying, you won the victory, not just for yourself, but for all your people. Lord, we take this cup with thanksgiving, 
receiving it with faith and joy, for by your death we have been given life. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Let's stand together and conclude crying out for God to um, fasten all of this close to our hearts. Lord, you have come and have inaugurated your kingdom, and we are your willing subjects. But we are reminded that your kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. So pour your spirit out upon us now. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with Pentecostal power and fire. Renew our minds so that we know and believe and live the reality that it is the last who will be first. That the way up is to embrace the humility of the way down. That your power is made perfect, not in our strength, but in our weakness. Anoint us now, Spirit of God, that we might go forth as ambassadors of this unexpected kingdom. Lord, I pray that we would be able to share the good news this week, inviting others to citizenship in this kingdom, for it is the eternal kingdom, and it is the kingdom for which we have been created and redeemed. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus, our great high king, the Lord of heaven and earth. And if you agree, say amen. amen. Now receive the blessing of God. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father forever. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Go forth full of the blessing of the kingdom of God and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope to see you on Christmas Eve back here at 6. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.